It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back, hour number two. JT with you as we begin a big hour. More NFL talk here on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Sam and Ash, our personal injury attorneys. I believe they're going to join us tomorrow. My good friend Sam and Ashley, if you need a personal injury attorney, just an attorney to talk to, their phones are open 24 7, 702 1234, because you deserve what's right. Uh, after this show ends in an hour, I'm heading out to the M Resort to see the grand opening of the Ra- Raiders Tavern and Grill. Really looking forward to seeing some friends out there. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, that'll be a great place to hang out and watch Raider games. I think we're going to be doing some fun little promotions out there over next season. And I'm really excited about the upcoming season because of all the news about what's going to happen with fans coming back. That's what Roger Goodell said. We're going to lead with that this hour, and we got a lot to get to. Joe Lisi is going to join us, a really good college football insider, on some of the players who could be available in the draft, especially the quarterbacks. And a guy I haven't talked to in a long time. We had him on the TV show. Uh, we'll t- talk to the nation. Jason Fitz from ESPN. You hear him on this channel often. I haven't talked to him in months, so we're going to have him on to get his assessment of the Raiders in their offseason as we continue. If you want to get through now, about an hour ago, I did a monologue on Derek Carr, on what your expectations are with Carr compared to the new quarterbacks coming out. Because the Raiders aren't trading for an older quarterback, such as, you know, when we talk about an older quarterback, someone who's younger than Derek but's been around, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. And we haven't talked about what's going to happen in regards to the younger quarterbacks. It doesn't seem like the Raiders are interested or have the ability to get Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and obviously Trevor Lawrence. So where are the Raiders with Derek Carr, and what are your expectations with them this year? I think it's an important time for Derek to play his best football, and he's going to have to maybe do it under duress as this offensive line's being rebuilt. And it, it's taken about two weeks for everybody to come to grips with the fact that the Raiders should be okay up front. Rodney Hudson's gone. Andre James will take over on that depth chart. Uh, the Raiders also went out and got backup help. And Nick Martin, who wants to start, he started for the Houston Texans, so we know he can start. Denzel Good, Richie Incognito. Colton Miller just got his contract extension. John Simpson was drafted high to play. So there are a lot of guys on the Raider offensive line who need to step up and take this to the next level. 702-365-9200. Here's Alex in Rhode Island. What's happening, Alex? What's happening? I have a, a question that's been bothering me for a while with the Raiders. And my question is, is do the players match the schemes? And I'm, I'm going to get into Derek Carr in a minute. I always thought that Tom, K- Tom Cable was a curious hire since he runs the zone-blocking schemes. And the Raider personnel, and still is, I think, is a power-blocking offensive line. It always bothered me there's a mismatch. I'm going to get into the, the defense. The regular young corners seem to be press, man-to-man coverage mm-hmm. skill set. 
You're bringing right. in Gus Bradley, who runs that Seattle zone defense. Again, mm-hmm. I question if the schemes match the players. Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr's a very good quarterback. Um, always thought so. I always thought Derek Carr's strength is out of the no huddle. I think he's outstanding out of the shotgun in the no huddle and the quick offense. And I get it. With Gruden's offense, you got to play under center. Um, and I think he's gotten a lot better at it. But mm-hmm. again, does the scheme match his skill set? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, you bring up a lot of points. I think that a cornerback, not every cornerback can be Willie Brown. That can bump and run and cover and be a Hall of Famer. So when you get these corners, they should be able to evolve into a Gus Bradley cover three with a high safety, and they should be able to bump and run or play zone coverage or lay off players and help out and do all that. The Raiders are drafting high at the cornerback position with Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett and Jonathan Abram at safety. So I think better coaching from this defensive coordinator, former head coach, should be able to fit nicely into this new scheme. So I think that's a very fair question. I'm more interested in the linebackers under Gus Bradley and how they're going to roam, how they're going to shed blocks, and how they're going to play in space. Very good question. When you ask about the scheme, I'm also very fascinated with your question because why draft Henry Ruggs III if you're not going to use him? with reverses, throw it behind the line of scrimmage, you know, have them run more go routes. There was no need to bring in rugs if rugs isn't going to be overused. You know what I mean? Like overused his first three years in the league. And then when it comes to zone blocking technique, I mean, players come into the league in college. They could play straight up, mano a mano, or they can play in a zone blocking technique. I'm pretty sure that you know Gruden's style is a two tight end set with a running back and a fullback and they want to play power football, so you can't have it both ways. You're a really good caller because you see what's happening here, is that if Gruden's going to go with two tight ends, and one of them's great in Waller, and he's going to have Ingle be a fullback to Jacobs, and they're going to run the ball straight ahead, it's zone blocking technique. I'd rather see just guys who can bully going ahead. But I I love what you said. Let me finish with Carr. Here's the deal with Carr. You nailed it. If you're going to have Derek Carr, give him more. Give them more in the shotgun. Give them more hurry up. And what I hope that Derek does this year, no disrespect to John Gruden, is that Derek calls plays off and then brings in his own plays. And Derek, who's supposed to be this great veteran who can read every defense, and I think he can, Derek's got to take control of the line of scrimmage more than Gruden lets him. And I think that's the big topic this year. Agreed, 100%. Okay. Yeah, Um, thanks for the Anything else? Okay, thanks. No, appreciate your call. I I really think that's a very good call. I mean, look, for John Gruden, you know I think the world to Coach Gruden. He's got every play, and he's got, like, a library of plays. I go back to this. If you go to the website at Raiders.com, you could see I emceed this high school coaching forum with, with, I believe, every high school coach in the state. And Gruden was there with the head coach of UNLV, Marcus Arroyo. And John Gruden spoke for about 15 or 20 minutes, and it was like a master class of coaching. It was incredible. Now, I know that's on a Zoom, and it's with high school coaches, but my point is is that he's a master motivator, he's a leader, and he's got every play in the book. But will he run those plays? And for Coach Gruden, I hope that this year, not because he's feeling heat from you, the fans, welcome to my world, is that 
they just use more exotic plays, more exotics, more double reverses, more rugs, you know, catching a ball behind the line of scrimmage and taking off, more crossing routes. Edwards on the right, Waller on the left. They're two monster human beings. Have them cross over the middle eight yards, and I think there'll be a car accident collision of defenders, and one of them will be open for a touchdown. Just more stuff, and then when they get in the red zone, instead of automatically handing the ball off on first down and be sitting there second and eight, I hope on first down they throw a fade to Waller or they do something unique. I think that's the next stage. Or Derek looks over at Gruden and says, no, no, I see something different. I'm going to run this play. All of that coming together gives the Raiders offense a really good opportunity to shine. I really believe this offense can be great with all the personnel that's come and gone in the last couple of years. You take out Nelson Aguilar, all right, we'll get the ball to Willie Sneed and John Brown. You know, you, you get rid of Nelson Aguilar, good. That means Ruggs is going to get what, 20 more receptions? And what about Renfro? Aguilar's gone, so Renfro gets 15 more receptions. Whatever it is, there's no weakness in this offense, none, other than the fact that Derek might be under a little bit more duress. 702-365-9200. Here is Ruben in Las Vegas. Hello, Ruben. Hello, JT. Uh, the previous caller did hit uh, the, nail, the nail on the head with the car uh, comment. But I had, like, a, a question, like, for you specifically. Um, I know you work for the organization, and you got started uh, when Coach Gruden got hired the first time around. And all yep. your insight, man, is so, like, on point and true, and I love your insight on this show. And I, I'm pretty sure, you know, you know Coach Gruden outside on a personal level, you know, besides mm-hmm. the Raiders, but do you yeah. ever like bring up these, t- these type of topics to him or like questions because you have great insight. And I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of your points or you're saying that we need to do to fix things. Do you ever bring it up on the personal level with coach off, uh, yeah. you know, off, off the record yeah, or well, whatever? When I go out and the few times I've been out with coach Gruden so to dinner with do wives, yeah, I always answer honestly when I'm, out to dinner with my wife and Cindy Gruden and Coach Gruden this weekend. At we were at a grand opening of the Virgin. I did not pull him aside at dinner in front of Dana White and all the people in the room and say, "Coach, I really think you need to evolve in the red zone." So to answer that question, no. I keep okay. I keep my friendship and I keep my job completely separate. Uh, that's what I do. That's what I do. I keep my friendships and my job completely separate. And I interview him all the time. If you watch the TV shows that I've done. I, interv- I interviewed Coach Gruden 19 times last year, 17 on TV, two on the radio. And every time we interviewed him, we asked him the toughest question about what the hell was going wrong. Every time. On the TV show, it comes to me. Aaron Costarelli throws it to me. Let's go to John Gruden and JT. And we talk about the game, the game, the game, the opponent. What happened? John Gruden says we didn't do this. We did this right. You know, there's only so much. But what I do with Coach Gruden privately is, is something I keep private. And there's not a lot of private moments with him. We're not hanging out every weekend. The guy's not available. He works, and I'm always working. I'm doing six days a week of radio. Tonight I was supposed to take my wife to the end for a great night, and I have to leave in an hour to come back and do a three-hour radio show. So there's not a lot of personal time with me, let alone Coach Gruden. But I appreciate you asking the question because – I consider him a mentor, a good friend, and someone that I'm pulling for. And as long as John Gruden's here, 
I will have his back on the radio. And I have no problem with the people who don't have a problem with that or have a problem with it. But I, I thought it was a very qu- fair question, and that's my answer. Thank you. Here he is, Joe Lisi, one of my favorites. Joe, Joe's been with me a long time, and I think he's evolved into a great college football analyst, especially from a gaming perspective. And, Joe, thanks for coming on quickly. want to talk about these five quarterbacks in the draft. How you been, buddy? Uh, doing well, JT. Living the life of the NCAA tournament, and it just seems like the NFL draft is basically on the back burner. But it's been unbelievable. We're, we're a month away in the trades that the Dolphins and Niners made last week. Just unbelievable to set them up for this upcoming draft. Joe, you cover these quarterbacks. You watch them from a gaming perspective, from analytics and all that. First off, I'm not really blown away by Mac Jones. So it seems like Kyle Shanahan at his workout with John Lynch. A lot of balls went on the ground, a lot of overthrows. I was not impressed at all. He's not. He doesn't look like some of the other younger quarterbacks, especially the ones that I think who could go ahead of him. But what do you make about the Niners trading up to number three? Who do you think they have their, uh, their eye on? Well, uh, if you're looking for a certain type of quarterback, I think it is Justin Fields for the ability to make plays outside the perimeter. We see the NFL game, but I will say this in terms of Mac Jones. You know, just from a numbers perspective, JT, he duplicated Joe Burrow type of numbers, and he did it in the biggest games on Alabama's schedule last year, national champion. You know, the pro days, I understand, you know, you need to show out, but sometimes I'd rather that player do it in big, critical games on a national stage than when they do it in practice. It's just the way it is. Better to do it between the lines when all eyes are watching as opposed to, you know, a schedule type of situation with a pro day. But out of all three quarterbacks, if I'm the GM for the uh, San Francisco 49ers, I have to make a choice. What type of quarterback do I want? Do I want a mobile guy a la Kyler Murray that can make plays outside the pocket? Or do I want a prototypical dropback passer like Jimmy Garoppolo that can work off a play action and utilize the run game? Because if that's what I'm looking for, JT, I think the better fit for the 49ers offense is, in fact, Mac Jones over Justin Fields or Trey Lance. What's, what fascinates me, Joe Lisi is our guest. Trevor Lawrence is a drop-back quarterback, and he's got athletic ability, but he's not a runner. And I don't think that that quarterback is the wave of the future anymore unless, Joe, you're Trevor Lawrence, unless you're that great where everybody looks at every intangible and says, we're going to go with Lawrence. After that, that's Zach Wilson. BYU workout was pretty insane. He looks a little undersized to me. But his ability to throw across his body and do things that the quarterback is doing now, I don't want to call it the modern era. It's like the newer modern era. I don't know how the Jets can pass him up at number two with Sam Darnold. You're back east. What are you hearing about the Jets at two? Yeah, a lot of fans want, you know, Zach Wilson to be the quarterback of the New York Jets in 2021. I will say this in terms of his game. I do believe that there will be growing pains with Zach Wilson, whether you take him and and implement him as the starter in the Jets' offense. I I understand the athleticism. I understand the ability to throw across his body. But if you go back to his film in 2019 against some of the better defenses that he faced, like Tennessee and that defense, when they forced him outside the pocket, he struggled with his reads and progressions. I will say a positive for Zach Wilson, JT, is his ability to utilize the tight end. We know that if you can look that way and read types of coverage like that, 
that carries a lot of weight with NFL GMs and scouts. So I think that's why you're seeing Zach Wilson fly up the boards in terms of his assessment. But I'll say this. I think he's a little bit overhyped. I don't expect Mm -hmm. a plug-and-play type of player right here, right now. I think there's going to be growing pains. And I still think the two best quarterbacks in this draft, I'll say it, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and in my opinion, Mac Jones, number three. Yeah, it's really interesting because you watch a lot more of this than I do, and you break down their plays, and you know these quarterbacks better than I do. But I'm impressed. I'm impressed with all of them. And it's just incredible that if you're in the NFL now, and you know I'm in Vegas, you got Derek Carr at the age of 30. You go around the league, and you look at some of these other quarterbacks that are really good. Kirk Cousins, still young enough compared to 43-year-old Tom Brady. You don't want to give up those quarterbacks because they're – they're veterans now. They're still young. But then you see these, Joe, you see these 21, 22, 23-year-olds coming up, and all of these head coaches are licking their chops going, I got a good quarterback, but I got to get the next Kyler Murray. I got to get the next Patrick Mahomes. Do you see this trend lasting a long time with the athletic player outside the pocket who's a little bit of a wild card? I think you have to, especially when we're looking at the defensive side of the ball, JT, and we're seeing guys like Micah Parsons run a 4-3-9, you know, as a middle linebacker slash, you know, you can possibly utilize him as an edge rusher. Look at Isaiah Simmons last year for Arizona. I mean, these linebackers can fly. So when they're playing off the edge, they're putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And unless your offensive line is elite, and I mean elite, These quarterbacks are going to be flushed outside the pocket. They need to keep their eyes down the field. And I think that is the wave of the future. A younger quarterback that's mobile. Look at Heineke that came in for Washington. He was a mobile guy. He basically came off the street from Old Dominion, comes in, throws 300 against the Super Bowl champs in a playoff game. You need a mobile quarterback in today's game. Not every quarterback is going to be Tom Brady that he was back in 1999-2000. Joe Lisi is our guest. Uh, you mentioned Micah Parsons. I want to get back to the quarterbacks. That's the guy. That's the guy that I would move up to and run and get. Not only for the Raiders, any team that needs a transitional guy that can tackle and maybe be a stud. And here's what I think the good news is. If there's a run on the quarterbacks and all five of the quarterbacks go, before Micah Parsons, or before any of these great players, that means the the teams that are picking anywhere from after Carolina at 8 all the way to the Raiders at 17 or beyond, those players might be available, Joe, because some of these quarterbacks like Trey Lance two years ago would have went in the beginning of the second round. Remember, Lamar Jackson went 32nd overall. Lamar Jackson's a lot better than Trey Lance, and he went dead last in the first round. Now Trey Lance might go to... Atlanta at number four or New England could trade up. So my point is the positional players, the receivers, the edge rushers, they're going to drop back. And I think some of these other teams that might be able to see them in sight are going to have to trade up. They're going to have to trade up to get these guys because they didn't think they were available. Great point, JT. You mentioned Parsons. Keep an eye out for, you know, uh, Panay Sewell. Where does he go? You know, best offensive lineman. You know, in this draft, does he fall to possibly seven or eight? You could pick up the best offensive lineman in the draft at number eight. is unthinkable when you think about it. Let's not forget the wide receivers and the edge rushers that you mentioned. There's a ton of them in this draft. I look at Miami defensive end Rousseau. Keep an eye out for him. He opted out all last year. I know Phillips is getting the love. 
by a lot of the scouts, but I watched him on film. He transferred from UCLA. He wore down as the season progressed, especially in run support. I think Rousseau has huge upside. He's the guy that I would take over Phillips. So he might be there in the number 12, number 15. That's great value for an edge rusher. Joe Lisi at Go for the Two. Go to GoForTheTwo.com. Tell me about Trey Lance out of North Dakota and what you saw, because we didn't see a lot of them other than highlight packages. Not a lot of people watch North Dakota State games. What jumped out at you on tape? Well, the biggest thing for him is that he is a mobile guy, and he's big, 6'3". I get it. He has a live arm, but there's still mechanic issues that need to be worked out. And the one-year wonder, you know, a lot of uh, criticism came of Dwayne Haskins last year, a couple of years ago when he came out of Columbus, that one year under his belt. Not a lot of people seem to be concerned with one year at the FCS level with Trey Lance. I think he, he's, a, he's a guy that needs development. He's not going to come in and just wow scouts and wow teams in year number one. Two or three years down the road, he might be a legitimate starter. But trading up in the fifth overall pick to get him, I think it's a waste of time. Now, I will say this, mm-hmm. 28 touchdowns, no interceptions, JT. That's what stands out on film, his ability not to turn the football over. That's what you want out of your, out of your leader and in your quarterback of the future. That's interesting to me because when I look at both these guys, and we just saw what Justin Fields did running his 40, which was insane, Trey Lance looks a lot physically like what I'm seeing with Justin Fields, just that Justin Fields played at Ohio State, went to Georgia for a cup of coffee, was a really great high school quarterback. So I'm just wondering, for the 49ers or any other team, what do you think the main difference is between Fields and obviously Lance when it comes to their size, leadership, and who has the higher ceiling? See, I lean to, to Justin Fields, and, okay. and I do that because I think he's more fluid. If you watch him, he doesn't look as rigid as Trey Lance. You know, when Trey Lance runs, he lumbers a little bit. He's not like Jalen Hurts where he tucks it and runs, just like Kyler Murray, you know, that fluidity. When they run, it's like, you know, he's lumbering. And, and you know, that's up or upright in the NFL. You're going to be taking hits. So we saw Cam Newton's game, how that transcended, especially with the injuries. He's not the same quarterback down the road that he was when he took the Carolina Panthers, you know, to the Super Bowl. So I think that's a concern for Trey Lance. Justin Fields, to me, just he, he was a five-star athlete coming out when he did sign with Georgia and, and Kirby Smart in Athens just did not fit that type of offensive scheme. Here he is, and when you look at him light up Clemson's defense, six touchdowns on a national stage, to me that's a battle-tested quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's a gamer. I like that quarterback over a guy that hasn't done it before on a national stage, and we're going to hope that he could be that type of player. Wrapping it up with Joe Lisi. Joe, finally, New England won the offseason, and usually they don't care about that. Belichick likes to develop his own players or get lesser-known players and bring him into the Patriot way. I love what they did. They added a completely brand-new football team, but I don't buy into Cam Newton. I don't think Cam Newton can throw anymore, and I think he's rested and hopefully rehabbed, and maybe I'm wrong, but I always thought it would have been uh, someone like Marcus Mariota or definitely Sam Darnold potentially, or Jimmy Garoppolo coming back. What do you think the mindset is? What does your gut feeling tell you on what New England does at quarterback? I think they have to draft somebody, you know, and if Matt Jones is around for that type of offense, I think you implement them. But 
I agree with you. I think I could see, you know, uh, Sam Darnold in that offense. I could see Jimmy Graps in that offense. I, I, they need someone that could stretch defenses vertically. Cam Newton, I agree with you. Arm strength was a concern last year. Forced balls into coverage. And as the season progressed, he wore on, turned the football over way too much. Even in the run game, you cannot do that as your leader, especially for the New England Patriots, because I agree with you. That that was a terrible year for Bill Belichick, but I think they rebound. I think somewhere, some way, they either draft the quarterback or they get one through free agency. We'll see what transpires over the next couple of months. Joe, I don't take credit for discovering you, but I was one of the first guys to put you on the radio nationally. You've never been better. Keep following this draft. I think with what you do with gaming, what you do with college football, you got everything to be a great draft analyst with all your knowledge. So thanks for coming on. Keep it up. Appreciate your love, JT, and love the show. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. And that was brought to you by Iole. The new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila with the smooth taste and fun name, Iole, proud partner of the JT The Brick Show. Jason Fitz going to join us next. Looking forward to talking to him from ESPN on the Raiders. What we're actually doing is actually following the data, following the science, to sort of make sure that we're doing things both from a health and safety standpoint as well as seeking always to to get better in every way. Roger Goodell on opening up football stadiums and opening up the season. JT, back with you. Uh, Brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. They have the super deals you're looking for. Jason Fitz joins me from ESPN, ESPN Radio, and he can play the fiddle better than anybody I know. How are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. Brother, I'm doing great. How you doing, JT? Good. You know, one of my first concerts ever was Charlie Daniels at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum back in the day, and I still think about that every time I see you in your avatar playing the violin, the fiddle, whatever you do. You're unbelievable. Well, thank you. And let me tell you, Charlie was absolutely one of the nicest people I've ever had the chance to interact with. And fun fact for every sports fan out there, Charlie Daniels was a massive Tennessee football fan for for the Vols. And so during shows, people would sit there and they would actually like his guys on stage would make sure he knew the score of Vols games whenever he was playing on Saturdays. And so I was talking to him one time and he was saying, man, Sometimes my Saturday shows weren't very good, depending on what the balls were doing in that era when they were really competitive. So, you know, fun fact about Charlie. Great dude, great fiddle player, and, uh, you know, absolutely a legend. Awesome. Hey, tell me what you think your perspective is of what's going on with the Raiders from Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson gone, little less money on the O-line, rebuilding the defense. How do you see it? Yeah, so it's a really curious, JT, because – uh, look, I, I think the, the signing of Colton Miller is going to get a lot of headlines and everybody talks about it. And the first thing I'd say to that is when you sign somebody early to a contract, I think that's the smartest thing you can do. If you know you got your guy, lock your guy up because contract values go up so astronomically and the salary cap is going to go up pretty big in a couple of years when these new TV deals hit. So Colton signing made a lot of sense. Obviously, the rest of the way across the line, he's taking a lot of chances. And, and that's what this really comes down to is they're looking at the guys in the building saying, hey, I think we can do this and we can do it cheaper. And, you know, that, that's a big 
risk to take. So for Raiders fans in general, as we all look across the O-line and say, okay, well, you know, don't worry about it. James is going to step in and be the center that everybody thought he could be, and Simpson's going to step in and be the guard that everybody thinks he could be, and all of these conversations. That's great, but that's assigning a lot of benefit of the doubt. So, you know, ultimately this says two things to me. One, they like the guys in the room, but two, they are really comfortable with Derek Carr's comfort in this offense because they've made his job a lot more difficult this year as people gel together, not knowing what the offseason is going to look like. So I think that's a, that's a, a curious move and a curious strategy to me. But if it plays out and works out, then, man, they've saved some money and they put themselves in a good situation moving forward. But that's a lot of risk. Jason Fitz joins us. That's what I've been talking about all day. If Derek has a little bit more on his plate as a veteran in his fourth year in the Gruden offense, that is really complex, so be it. But do you believe that he can evolve to be a better pocket passer, let alone a passer on the run, if the pocket breaks down more? Because we know how many weapons he has. If the ball comes out early or if the ball comes out late, there's a rotation of receivers along with Waller at tight end somebody's got to be open, and he might have to hit those guys on the run, moving his legs. I hope he can do it. Yeah, and that's a great point because realistically, I know fans always scream about why are we not pushing the ball down the field more. Well, that takes the trust in the offensive line, and that takes knowing that your quarterback knows exactly where he's going to be and and how that process is going to run. I mean, uh, Gruden absolutely wants a quarterback, and we all know this, that can get them out of bad calls or – or calls that aren't working out the way they want throughout the course of a game. So there's no doubt about the athleticism of Derek Carr. It's just the fact of does he want to do that? Does he choose to do that? And and I can't say this loud enough. I think that the Raiders can be great with Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr can be a great quarterback. And if he had some reason found himself playing on another team this offseason, if he was suddenly the Colts quarterback, the national media would be telling you why Derek Carr is not the problem. We need to remember that we have a very good quarterback in Vegas. The question is, can Gruden, as a play caller, find a way to make him really comfortable? And I don't know that that's always the best situation. Like, there's this this weird dynamic for the Raiders where they want to establish the run, but they also want to throw the ball deep. And all of that requires a lot from the O-line and a lot from their quarterback. So Card's going to have to step up as good as he's been, and he's going to have to be more on the fly. Jason Fitz joins us from ESPN. See, I see Derek Carr in the no huddle calling plays at the line with Gruden in his ear. I've been asking for that forever. So I think more of a up-tempo, faster offense with all of these players with an offensive line where Derek's got to keep the defense backtracking and on edge really could be the evolution with this offense this year. And as you know, we've talked about it on TV. they got to improve in the red zone. I don't know why the red zone is a struggle with Gruden being a master play caller and Carr having all this experience. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. By the way, uh, one thing I always tell fans to look for early in the game, if Carr's getting up to the line of scrimmage, and we've all seen this, especially in the first quarter of games, if he's getting up to the line of scrimmage and there's a ton of time left on the clock and he's just standing there figuring it out, he beats defenses that way. He knows this offense, and he is smart at the line of scrimmage. What I don't understand is why at times that just seems to go away during the course of the game. Like, I want that version of Carr, and I want that version of trust from Gruden to Carr throughout the entirety of the game. And and the red zone thing, I mean, at some point the Raiders have got to decide, here are our red zone options that we are going to feature and we're going to let our best beat your best. That's what red zone football is all about. And we saw that a few years ago when when it was Cooper and Crabtree that Carr was throwing Mm -hmm. to. We all knew that Cooper – we all knew that Crabtree, sorry, was going to get the ball in the red zone. That's where Carr was going to go, and they got it done that way. I mean, I I need that that level of trust and belief in Waller in the red zone is what I think the Raiders need to see this season. 
And Jason Fitz is our guest as we wrap it up. You know, I'm a big believer in Yannick Ngakwe. I thought he got lost the last year or two moving teams. When he was in Jacksonville, he was a monster at the level of Khalil Mack. He really was. Mack was unique. He was right behind him as a disruptor. Now I got to hope that, and we all got to hope that he can play at that level again, opposite Mad Max, all the players they have added on the defensive line. But, Jason, it still comes back to Cleve Farrell, number four overall. He has got to flash and become a better player. And then you got three guys on the defensive line you could put up against any three around the league. He's that important of a player. Yeah, you're, you're right, JT. And, and look, Ngakwe is not good. He's great. He's spectacular. And I've had the opportunity for the last couple of years to talk to the Jacksonville ESPN affiliate. I do it every week. And I've really been watching his career for a long time. They will tell you in Jacksonville that they were absolutely heartbroken that it never found a way to work out. It was a money thing for him. And then last year was a strange year. I'll, I'll, I'll admit all of that while still saying that I think by the end of it, Yannick Ngakwe is going to end up being one of, if not the best signings of this free agency period. That being said, you're also right that now if we're going to basically come into some sort of rotation with three guys playing two slots, then we are going to need to see massive production from Klee. And that's, that's difficult. Like He is sort of at the pro level. He is who he was at Clemson. He's a solid player that doesn't make mistakes, that seals off well, that plays the run well and gets in there and does his job well, but he doesn't make big, huge sack sort of uh, tackle for lost plays. That, that's who he was in college, too. So the coaching staff's going to have to find a way in his limited touches to make sure that, that, that it's limited because we're getting the most out of him. If they can do that, it's disruptors. But also, JT, the fact that they didn't go out and get anybody in the secondary tells me they believe they can do that. We'll see if the bet pays off. Keep doing great things on the radio. Let's do this more often. Love having you on, okay? I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks so much. You got it, Jason Fitz, ESPN, ESPN Radio, and a diehard Raider fan. Diehard Raider fan. Bobby just got a text. Ben Fisher, who covers the NFL for Sports Business Daily. He's really good and connected. Uh, Just got off the conference call with the owner and the commissioner. We're going to do a quick hit with him to talk about the 17-game schedule and what's happened in the last couple of days as Roger Goodell and the owners got together. Stick around. That's coming up next as we continue right here on Raider Nation Radio. Going back to the QB Collective, I remember, you know, Coach Shanahan being a great coach, great quarterback coach in terms of, you know, emphasizing to keep keeping that base in the pocket. So he's a, he's a great offensive-minded coach and arguably one of the best coaches in the league. So, you know, it's, it's just an honor and a, and a blessing to even be in that position to, to, to be looked at by them. So I'm just, just grateful. Justin Fields, all the quarterbacks are being looked at by the Niners. Very quickly, Ben Fisher, kind enough to join us from a great publication, Sports Business Journal, after Roger Goodell and the owners met. Ben, thanks for a few minutes and calling in. We really appreciate it. Most of the players seem to be happy with this new TV contract. Owners and the players make more money. Is it a win-win? Well, I guess, you know, whether it's a win for the players or not, really comes down to the question is, can you put a price on health and safety? Mm-hmm. You know, on, on one hand, whatever you think of the collective bargaining agreement that allowed the league to expand the season to 17 games, it was duly negotiated, considered, and passed by a fair vote of the union. However narrowly, it did pass. So, you know, that, that's the process, and the players did get money for it. They got an increase in the revenue share and a boost to the league minimum salary, which affects a lot more people than we realize. So they got paid for it. But, uh, you know, every time you get hit on a football field, there's a chance of 
something going wrong physically. It's an inherently dangerous activity, and you do it 17 times instead of 16 times every year. Reasonable to assume that more people are going to get hurt. Uh, I think on whole, the player's perspective is, well, yes, we understand that, but we're happy to take risks and we get paid. But, you know, people like Alvin Kamara, other critics of the deal are not wrong either. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, what I, I guess it's a, it's a hard question to answer whether they got yeah. fair value for the extra game or not. But the union would say, yes, they did. Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal. Ben, there are stock market bubbles and pullbacks as real estate pullbacks. There's even crashes in certain markets. How come there's never a pullback on these TV deals? I understand the streaming rights coming in with Amazon Prime, but how come television networks continue to find the money in all different types of economy to throw more money at the NFL? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, first of all, the, the, the people that own these television stations are larger and better-heeled companies than they used to be back in the day. You know, I mean, AS, ABC and ESPN are part of Disney, which is a massive corporation, and NBC and Comcast and CBS has even gotten larger with this deal of Viacom. Uh, the reason they find money, even though you know there's ups and downs, is that one thing that hasn't really gone in ups and downs is the widening gap between live sports and basically everything else that's on television. Um, anything that's scripted, you can tape it, you can delay it, you can watch it on a streaming service at your convenience. Sports, you pretty much have to watch watch live, and that's not changing. So that's why sports and news have become so disproportionately important to these TV stations. That you know, if you if you're an advertiser and you want to reach a you know tens of millions of people all at once in real time, sports are pretty much the only place to do that. So it's not that sports is necessarily growing in leaps and bounds in popularity. In fact, there's reason to argue otherwise. It's the difference between sports and everything else that might be on a CBS, which is why they determined that this is important enough to them that they're going to spend twice what they did 10 years ago for the same product. Sports business insider Ben Fisher is our guest. Hey, Ben, how hard is you cover sports news and the economy of sports as good as anybody? How hard is it to value what the owners are worth during a pandemic where David Tepper was the richest owner and he's in a certain business compared to another owner? in a different business compared to owners who just own their football team and got really beat badly last year. What about the values and how much heat and how much loss the owners took last year heading into this year without concessions and gate receipts? Yeah, well, you know, our reporting was that the NFL collectively fell about four and a half billion dollars short of what their projections would have said. They were, they were thinking before the pandemic that the all in top line revenue for the NFL was going to be 16.5 billion in 2020. It ended up being about 12 billion. Uh, so that's four and a half billion dollar hole in their budget. And that includes league level losses and team level losses. And you're right for, um, for, for teams that are much more work a day and for owners that make their money off the cash flow of the teams, this is a bad year. Uh, and, you know, those, those, those sorts of owners are less prominent in sports than they used to be. You know, every new transaction that comes by brings us another David Tepper, who's in the sort of financial business who actually get richer during a down economy. Um, so he's fine. But there's, you know, the, the 10 poorest owners in the NFL probably are squeezing their belts in a way they didn't uh, for a long, long time before 2020. Having said that, the big picture, the real value of these teams is not in cash flow year to year. It's an asset appreciation. And because of the vaccine 
And because of this emerging consensus that the pandemic is really a one-year problem for the NFL rather than a three- to five-year problem for the NFL, the long-term value of the franchises are fine, especially with the new media rights deals. They're going to keep going up. So someday those comparatively poor owners are going to sell, and they're no longer going to be comparatively poor. Ben Fisher, as we wrap it up from the Sports Business Journal. So moving the Super Bowl back to February 13th to SoFi Stadium, no big deal. I mean, the calendar moving to 18 weeks and 17 games, pushing the Super Bowl back. Not a lot of listeners can wrap their head around that, yet it's so far off in the distance. Is that a big deal or no? Um, No. Most years it's not a big deal. But pushing it into the second Sunday of February – means that once every six or seven years, depending on your leap days, that Super Bowl is going to be on President's Day weekend. So I think it's 2027 is the next time. If they make no other changes to the schedule, in 2027, Super Bowl Sunday will be followed by a day off work for most people. And people who sell beer and people who sell hotel rooms at the Super Bowl figure to make a lot more money that year. Um, but until then, that's you know, most years there's still going to be a week between President's Day weekend and the Super Bowl. So most years it's really one more week. It's sort of in a slow time in the sports calendar. Not a big difference. The NFL will just move the hoopla one one week out into into February. And Ben, last one on this on the league meetings with the, the owners is the fact that Roger Goodell let it be known that he wants full stadiums. I love it. I'm in Vegas. We haven't played a game yet in front of anybody at Allegiant Stadium. Same for SoFi, brand new out in Southern California in Inglewood. But I know the difference between politicians from California to New York and CDC guidelines. Is this going to be a really big discussion as we see the potential for a fourth wave coming? How big of a topic is this for Goodell moving forward? Well, I was uh, caught by that myself yesterday when he said we expect that because most of the teams I talked to in the most risk-averse markets like California and New Jersey and New York or Illinois – Uh, they are trying to avoid saying things like that because while they really believe deep down that the vaccines are going to be so widely distributed by middle of the late summer that there's no reason we wouldn't have full stadiums, they don't want to be seen as counting their chickens before they hatch because, you know, governors and mayors are sort of the people are the sort of people sometimes who say, Oh, really? Commissioner Goodell expects full stadiums. Well, we'll see about that. So the the teams are really hesitant to make predictions like that, even though they believe the same thing Goodell does. Um, You're right about the fourth wave. I think it's just too early to say for sure. But look, if the president's uh, projections are correct, that anyone who wants a vaccine will be able to get one by, say, Memorial Day, it's really hard to see a reason why there'd still be limited capacity by September But, you know, I say that with a year of experience in the pandemic when it's a bad idea to predict where we're going to be more than four or six weeks out. And Roger Goodell is going to have some limited fans at the draft compared to canceling it last year in Vegas. So that's encouraging. It's not going to be an overflow crowd, but at least it's going to be great optics for the NFL, for the commissioner to be there on stage and see some fans in attendance. Yeah, that's going to be a big day for the NFL, just to sort of try to prove to the world that maybe we're not quite back to normal, but back to something approaching regular regular operating procedures for the NFL. Ben, I know your schedule was tight with these meetings. Thanks for carving out some time for me. I appreciate it. Happy to. Anytime. Thank you, Ben. Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal. On a big week for the NFL, and we're not even at the midweek. We have the Final Four coming up on Saturday, National Championship on Sunday. This show was a blur, thanks to Gus Otto, Ben Fisher, who joined us, Austin Gale, and Jason Fitz. 
I don't know how Bobby does it. Every day I wake up, he says, get in the studio, and we do a show for two hours. We give you everything we have every day with, with some of the best information because these guests are really good with their football content. And we're going to stay on the draft the rest of the way unless there's breaking Raider news in regards to personnel. Uh, Raiders did a nice job at Raiders.com with a full assessment of all the free agents that they signed and updated roster and all of that. Thanks to everybody who's listening to the show. We appreciate it. Heading out to the M Resort to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. I will have me one Remy on ice to take the edge off of this show for the last couple hours. I'm back tonight, 7 to 10 p.m. on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM 82. I hope you have that subscription and you can listen to me at night and how we do a different show here at night covering live sporting events. And that's about it. Exciting times here in Vegas. Really exciting times. Exciting times here on Raider Nation Radio. Vinny Bonsignor will come up at 4 o'clock. He had some great content today. Great content today with his cover story on the NFL expecting full stadiums, which were cautiously optimistic. And that comes from the owner, Mark Davis. Everybody have a good day. Rest of the day. The weather is beautiful. If we live out here, if you're listening anywhere else, come on out to Vegas. We're open. Hope to see you here soon. Have a great day, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.